Welcome back to the Fit CFO Show. I'm your host, Amanda Hankwist, and together with my husband, Sean, we created this podcast as a way to help you reach your business's financial goals. We will break down common financial myths and mistakes in business and share with you the tools and knowledge to take your business to the next level. Our hope is that you will become financially equipped for success in your business and in turn help our mission to make this world a healthier place. Today on the show, Sean and I wanted to take you back and have you get to know us. This is going to be an interview style podcast where we take turns asking each other questions so that you can understand us, where we came from, how and why FitCFO came to be. This is the FitCFO Show. Hey guys, it's been a busy weekend. Old man just turned 41. <laughs> just a number now. Oh my gosh. How was your birthday? It was good. It was low key. Um, actually, we spent most of the day building a play set for our five-year-old, which was hilarious because she kept getting on it before it was halfway done and sliding. Oh, it was and, like giving directions and telling everyone. And we had what? Would we have four generations working on yep. the playset? My grandpa, my dad, my husband, and my son. And the boys. It was it was super cool. I enjoyed it. I mean, that was probably the best thing, just spending it with family and working on that playset and and looking at everybody's and especially looking at Henley's smile as she went down the slide for the first time. So it was it was super cool and um, amazing spread. I'm on I'm on prep right now, so I have to be pretty diligent about food. And uh, Amanda was like filleting like i mean we had awesome plays we had it was it was super good so we made sean prep friendly birthday food all right well we're gonna get to it we have kind of a special little episode for you guys today we thought it'd be really cool to take it way back and do kind of an interview style podcast i I don't think we've talked a lot about our upbringing where we came from who we are how we came to be now, Sean and I are going to ask each other a few questions, see what kind of conversations can happen from that and, and things that we have learned from those experiences. Let's do this. First one I kind of want to get into, and you've, you've referenced this before, but you talk a lot about your childhood, your humble upbringings, the ups and downs of the agricultural industry. Um, for those of you that don't know, Sean grew up in, on a dairy uh, farm operation. I know you talk a lot about things being tight in certain seasons, and you could always just kind of tell from the demeanor of your family how things were kind of going on. So tell me first, I guess, what interested you going from an agricultural background to the wealth industry? Yeah, good question. So I would have to say my heart um, is still in the country. Uh, I'm a country boy. And um, honestly, I 25 years ago, looking forward, I would have figured I was going to be on the farm um, and making my living. And, 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 um, honestly, it's a great way of life. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, a lot of people haven't experienced it, but if you ever get to a chance or had an opportunity to be on a farm, it's, it's an amazing uh, place to grow up. Um, however, there's a lot of ups and downs in the agricultural industry with commodity prices. As I got into high school and into college, I kind of was understanding that the agriculture industry is really hard to get started when you don't have a lot of generational wealth. A lot of the land is owned by larger corporations now, bigger farmers. And when you don't own any land, um, it's really hard to make a way in the agricultural space, or at least to get started. So I was I was like, well, what, what's next? And I was always intrigued by wealth. I couldn't think of any other thing to do rather than go and work with wealthy people. 
mm-hmm. interview them, talk to them, see how wealth was made. And that really attracted me to go down this wealth management space. In the long run, I kind of understood that entrepreneurship is definitely the way to go. How do I go out there and make a difference? And something different is kind of what led me down that path. I mean, now I'm 20 plus years into developing my skill and education, and I absolutely love love what I do, but um, there's always a place uh, in in the farm. The cool thing is, is you develop enough wealth, you can go back to having like a fun little hobby farm and not have to... um, Yeah, we're kind of on our way of having, we have horses and mules. (laughs) Well, but then we don't have to experience the ups and downs of the agricultural life. We just get to do it for a hobby and have fun with it. Yeah. So let's get on and ask Amanda a question now. So you probably don't know this, but we had a pretty difficult start to our entrepreneur journey uh, when we were first married. Actually, not married yet. We had a two-bedroom apartment. And I remember even we had a lot of little visitors, mice. Like mice, cockroaches and... Oh my God, that apartment was horrible. <laughs> we were not definitely in the nicest part of town. Let's put it that way. And then we had Mr. Hunter come along. And well, that also like brings me to think about something that uh, we even had what they call the WIC program or something where you yeah. get like, milk and cheese and peanut butter. Right. Yeah. You get, like, the- Let's talk about the motivation and, and wanting to get the hell out of that situation and where that led you down your path of entrepreneurship. You know, that is such an interesting question because I was always, um, I was always very driven. Sean and I are like total opposites. He's like the football guy, sports guy. I was very much into music and I wanted to go move to New York and sing on Broadway and all of the things. And so I went to school for everybody in my family is a teacher. And so I blended the two and decided to go to college to be a music teacher. And quickly realized that that is not what I wanted to do in life was be a music teacher. And I got to a point where my mom was kind of like, maybe school isn't for you. And, you know, it was kind of that period where we had our son, we were living in this yucky little apartment on a not so great side of town. And I thought to myself, Oh, hell no. School is for me. I am not going to sit here. I'm not going to stay here. I graduated rather quickly. I guess from that moment, it was like rock bottom, right? It was just like, there's no, (laughs) I suppose we could have lived in our vehicles or something, but to me, that was, that was the motivation that I needed to work really, really hard and do the best thing that I thought I could do. And then, um, was able to get, one of the top positions out of college, I ended up getting my degree in interior design. A lot of you don't know probably that, but um, yeah, I was able to, I guess, use that as motivation to work really hard and finish college and get the job. And then we got the house and then it was just kind of up from there. So yeah, during that same time, like I was starting my financial mm-hmm. journey and the sales portion of it. And it was feast or phantom. And as the mom on these programs, you have to go sit in these meetings. And I was just like, I can't, I can't live here. Nope. We well, were- and I was like, there would be some months I'd make no money. Mm-hmm. Some months I'd make 800 bucks. I'd make $3,000 a month or carries for a month or two. And the situation was not good. It was like uh, just outside sales. Like here's a phone book, um, write down like a hundred people, you know, friends and family, go try to right. sell my product. And I, I think it was one time I remember that I had to go 
to that, that place. I don't know, was it wick or whatever? Yeah. And I had to go to the meeting <laughs> and I sat there and I'm like, what the F? Like my fiance never... had gone to the meetings yet. I no, every I'm like, time. I'm like... Amanda's never going here again. I think that night I was like applying for overnight stocking shelves at Menards right. or something to make anything we can. But like Amanda said, we I were able to put things together and it just took time. I, I believe I went into banking because I needed some benefits and some steady pay. Um, it was kind of led us down that path where I got, you know, just kind of switched gears on the financial journey a little bit to get a nine to five job where I could have a salary. And you said we saved up 10 grand to buy our first house. Well, because the thing is too, at that particular time frame, the market was really shaky. Like this, we're talking, this is like 2006, 2007, right before the recession, you guys, we couldn't find a house in our budget at all. It wasn't there, or it was just the crappiest house. Like we'd be going backwards by buying a house from this apartment. And I think it was a point where we were like, we're not willing to do that. So we, we did hold our patience a little bit. We waited until we both had different jobs where we could actually afford a next step up type yep. of home. So what happened is, is we saw the writing on the wall and, and we needed to get a foundational. Like I went right into sales thinking that I'll be able to make bank bro. Right. Like no big deal. <laughs> we, we got this. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I needed some foundational pieces first. Like I had to get some footing underneath me and we needed, we needed savings. Like we didn't have any savings. We didn't have emergency reserves. So we're able to create that over time by having the jobs and not, you know, living within our means and not overspending. And then eventually well, and coming from a super humble place can do a lot for you. I think that, like you said, rock bottom, like, mm-hmm. and we did that at a young age, right? Like I think a lot of people are struggling. Okay. Let me ask you a question here. I remember you telling me about the very first time you made your own purchase in the Wendy's parking lot at 16, all the way to like when you maxed out your credit cards in college, had a horrible credit at a young age to now, like, seriously, I've never seen a better credit score ever out of the hundreds that I've looked at. Your credit score is amazing. Let's talk about how you got there and and where you started from 16 to where you're at now, um, even to the time that you did a year of no shopping um, and what you learned from that and what it took to do that. And um, now like being a very savvy financial entrepreneur. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of people hear about that year of no shopping and they're like, there's no way I could do that. And if anybody could not have done that, it was for sure me. Right. But Um, it's interesting because as a little kid, I always kind of saved my pennies. I enjoyed watching my savings grow, but for some reason, when I got my first job and I got my own paycheck and I spent that first dollar or whatever it was at Wendy's, (laughs) isn't it funny that I still remember sitting in that drive-thru? I mean, all I can think of is, um, and it was so innocent, but I was like, I can think it was a frosty right now. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you're on prep. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I I really think that like now being an adult, I correlate that it was that dopamine rush, right? It was that like addictive dopamine that a lot of people get with their electronics. So let me see how many likes I got, or let me see how many comments I got, or views I got, or or um, drugs or alcohol, or honestly, even what I call the dark side of bodybuilding. You know, I mean, there's a, there's just a certain point when you're in prep that you, every time you pass a mirror, it gets addictive. You get that dopamine rush, right? But the year of shot of no shopping, what that did for me was it forced me to really take a step back 
and understand what my values were and understand that (laughs) you'll never be able to spend enough money to keep up with the trends ever. I mean, there's, there's too many all the time. They will always be there. Honestly, there's, there just gets to a point where you have to say that's enough. And and it's just one of those things. It's that dopamine. I mean, I think when you recognize that, when you recognize what's happening mentally, you can correlate it and, and you can start to fix it. You know what I think though, it goes back to hitting rock bottom again. Mm-hmm. There was a point that you came to me at rock bottom mm-hmm. and you said, let's fix this together. Yeah. And it just seems like everything changed once you hit rock bottom. I definitely don't do you know near what I used to do, but I think it ultimately becomes too, that there's just something so rewarding about helping others and watching others grow their wealth. And, and we have to be an example of that. Yeah. I mean, we have to practice what we preach. Um, and I just remember you came to me and we put together a plan and mm-hmm. you did the work. And isn't that crazy how ultimately everything comes down to having a plan of execution? Um, okay. We have a, a presentation coming up later this week and we're literally um, talking about that exact thing about having a plan, execution and accountability. Yeah. Um, some of the very most important things. And and I was lucky enough to have Sean to be able to be that accountability partner for me. Yeah, it was Ultimately. nothing magical. I did. We just, you know, sat down and talked about it together. Right. I'm and the one that did the work, right. I yeah. mean, I had to do the work. You didn't do the work. You were just my accountability partner and helped me create that plan and the structure. Yeah. And now, um, you know, do you mind, I, sh- I share what your score is. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew what it was. When I was like 23, though, I'm kind of Uh-oh. bummed that I don't know what it was. Like it could be a record. Like, like I think it was in the fours. <laughs> I think it had to be like 425. I've seen some in the fours, um, but sure. we oh we were going to be buying an acreage, and we were I was on. Uh, yeah, we put an offer platform. on an acreage, and so we were looking at this, and Amanda's credit score came back higher than mine, and it was like an 847. <laughs> it was like 847. Six or 847. I don't know. It was. And like 850 is the highest. Yeah. And I've never seen anything over like, like what the hell? How is yours better than mine? <laughs> <laughs> That's putting in the work right there. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to say that you've done a hell of a job. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things you where you started to where you are at now. I mean, now with an 847 credit score, I mean, I know that fluctuates by points, you know, daily, probably or monthly or whatever. But at the end of the day, you can go out and get anything that you want when you have good credit. Yep. Yep. It's, it's good leverage for sure. It shows good experience. So, so anyway, I want to move on and ask you a question now. Absolutely. So we sprinkle in a lot about us owning the gym. You actually just referenced it anytime fitness years ago, but let's talk about what ultimately led us down that journey. And then I really want to talk about what we learned from that and Mm -hmm. what we were able to use to bring some tools to fit CFO. Yeah. So going down that journey, the journey would have never um, started if we would not have had any money saved up. Like it takes money sometimes to make money. So I'll I'll preface with that is sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a huge investment, but I think we had to come up with like 10 grand or something like that. And then we purchased the gym and it was an existing business that had cash flow, So it, it really kind of took care of itself, which I think was a detriment to us at the time is because we bought a cash flow business and thinking that that's all you needed to do. And we didn't have any blood, sweat, and tears into building it. So we just didn't know what it took. 
but yeah, we, we bought the the business and just thinking it was going to be an investment and we're going to own 10 of them and everything's going to work out perfectly. And, you know, we weren't afraid of the hard work, like we would paint the walls and do what we needed to do, but it was the financial side of things is it was where we went wrong and we just didn't know. I, I use this a lot. We didn't know. We didn't know. Um, at the time it just kind of month by month, year by year went and nothing really changed. Um, so then over time we had competitors come in, we had, you know, equipment deteriorating and having to purchase new and there's just, well, and we, we, we experienced this when you have like a 24 hour or that, you know, that type of facility where it's not a boutique style gym, like it's literally just starts to become a race to the bottom, whoever can charge the least amount of money and, um, and we definitely experienced that. We were kind of the first in the game, but then we're still in it when more and more facilities started to come into our little town. Yeah. Newer, bigger, different type of offering. And mm-hmm. and it was completely on us. We didn't do what we needed to do in the, when it was going well, as far as saving money uh, for holding back for equipment purchases or doing right. um, expansions. Um, we honestly, I, I was taking a lot of the money and putting down as much as we could on like the loans. We took out a monstrous loan. And when you do that, like you can shortchange your, your uh, cash position. And that's where we realized a lot in business cash is king. Um, you know, if you took nothing against Dave Ramsey by any means, but if you took his approach and tried to knock down the debt as fast as possible and this and that, you ran yourself dry and then you have cash um, reserves for seasonal business or equipment or expansion. So there were some things that we definitely did wrong. I mean, it was a lot of overhead when we had a big facility with a large loan and employees. And then when cash flow starts deteriorating, um, that um, that's when shit hits the fan. It, it really did like get to a point where, oh crap, like things aren't good right now. Yeah. Like yeah. quickly. You know, there wasn't the the business coaches and the mentors and um what the what is what is happening now is you can literally get you know blueprints roadmaps it literally um, wasn't even instagram i mean we're talking 2012 2013 right, yeah. right. it's very humbling though to say that we failed um you know maybe maybe we didn't lose any money but us not being successful at it and making tons of money was a failure for us and, and something we definitely learned from again it was one of those experiences where it's hard to say that we regret it because we learned so much from that experience had we mm-hmm. not gone through that we probably wouldn't know the things that we know now yeah i think that was our you've mentioned it before that was our leveling up period of like okay this business thing it's real and we have to learn it we have to learn cash flow we have to learn operations and structure. And that's where I went to studying, reading books. You can roll up your sleeves all day long and stay up till 2am painting the walls and fixing stuff and working hard physically. But it that, that doesn't matter. Like you can have a hard work ethic and train 14 hours a day and you know, that kind of thing. But you have to know what one thing we learned is none of that stuff is going to matter because you can pay for that to get done, right? Yeah. You probably should so that you can learn what you need to know in your business. Absolutely. Um, so what what we've done is we've we've created and implemented blueprints where we call it different now, but we've implemented the changes into one of your businesses um, 
for a lot of years and were able to have success showing the methods work. It's just, it was really fun to see everything play out, but it was kind of a long road, if that makes sense. Well, the whole point of us sharing all of these experiences with you guys and as humbling as it is, but I think it's important to be vulnerable and let you guys know that we weren't always the wealth experts. And this is why I wanted to bring this up. There's this thing called the compounding effect. We weren't given anything. We had to learn the hard way. We had to develop you know, systems and, and do Process, this work. Yeah. That's what is really cool is seeing it compound. Mm-hmm. It wasn't over two years, wasn't over five years, wasn't over 10 years, but it was probably about 15 years, somewhere around there. It really, you could see you know, our net worth has uh, changed dramatically. Like we can work with who we want, how we want, where we want, but we didn't start there. That's where we wanted to get a, the message across is you are where you are at, and you can always move forward, but it may take some time. So don't underestimate what um, you can do in 10 years. Right. I think I've said this before. It's like, I think people overestimate what they can do in a year, but underestimate what they can do in 10. And if you just see this through and and keep grinding, keep grinding, it will happen. And just live through those experiences and and let it happen. Well, I wanted to end this podcast with our top five takeaways from our experience as entrepreneurs over the years. Number one, have a purpose behind your mission. We have so many examples of this. Um, you know, the cockroach apartment situation, <laughs> that was that was a huge purpose. Our purpose was to get the hell out of there. We, I ultimately became an entrepreneur because I wanted flexibility. I mean, these are just examples that you have to have a purpose behind your mission because that is really going to be what drives you when you hit a road and your motivation is gone. You've got to have your purpose behind your mission to help pull you through those hard times. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I would have to say um, the next one we want to leave you with is come from a humble place. Know what it's like to work in your business. Like I think we all are there, we're grinding, um, but you need to work your way out of that. And that's one thing Amanda and I have done well over time is working our way towards being the CEO of our company rather than the employee of our company and doing everything from A to Z. Um, You have to start where you are, do what you have to do, but you need to put the systems and processes together so you can start stepping out of the day-to-day and then start working on your business and being the CEO. Absolutely. And then spend the money and get your time back. When you can step into that role of the CEO, and sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable, but outsource what you don't know or what you're not good at. For example, outsourcing the finances as business owners, we need to fully understand our numbers to be able to make educated decisions on our business. I truly believe that it'll cost you more in the long run if if you don't. Now, if that's something that you totally nerd out on and you love and you want to know more about, then maybe there's other areas of your business you should be outsourcing. But if that's not a top priority in your business, you definitely need to be outsourcing it. Yeah, that's a very good point. The next one is put your money to good use. So what do they say? What ma- what gets measured gets done. So if you have a hard time saving money, if you have a hard time doing things in your business, you have to kind of set it up so it happens automatically. You have to have a process behind it. So you have to measure it, right? And then it gets done. Save automatically and don't be stupid with your money. This took me years of horrible credit to learn. I've also learned with my through my year of no shopping, that it's always going to be there. Whatever you want to buy, someone will always have cuter clothes than you. And it's nearly impossible to keep up with all the new fashions and trends. So spend your money on your future, your business, and your memories, not bags, shoes, and trips that you really can't afford to go on. 
All right. And the fifth one here, it's okay to pay some taxes. We always want to make sure that we're taking advantage advantage of every loophole and every tax break possible. Um, so we're not leaving the IRS a tip. But when you're paying taxes, that means you're profitable. Don't base your financial business decisions just on tax write-offs. If you do, it's like spending a dollar to save 30 cents or less in some cases. So don't just wastefully spend money. Absolutely. Well, that is all we have for you, Deck Guys, today. I hope you enjoyed this unique episode of our Q&A interview podcast. Thank you. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss a beat. We'd love it if you shared this podcast, your Instagram story, your Facebook page, or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help other health and fitness entrepreneurs out there succeed in business. We so appreciate you listening in. And until next time, keep your goals high, but keep each step attainable.